So Exodus 26 is all about the tabernacle. So let's read this chapter. I'll read and you follow along. Exodus 26. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen and blue, purple, and scarlet thread. With artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain, four cubits. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the savaged of one set, that's on the edge of one set. And likewise, you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops you shall make in the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make in the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set, that the loops may be clasped to one another. And you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains together with the clasps so that they may be one tabernacle. And you shall also make curtains of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. And you shall make 11 curtains and the length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits in width and each curtain 4 cubits. And the 11 curtains shall have the same measurements. And you shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And you shall double over the sixth curtain at the forefront of the tent. And you shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that, it's outermost in, that is outermost in one set. And 50 loops on the edge of the curtain of the second set. And you shall make 50 bronze clasps. Put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be one. The remnant of the remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle, and a cubit on one side, and a cubit on the other side of what remains of the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle, on this side and on that side to cover it. You shall also make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent and a covering of badger skins above that. And for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood standing upright. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board and a cubit and a half shall be the width of each board. Two tenons shall be in each board for binding one to another. Thus you shall make for all the boards of the tabernacle. And you shall make the boards of the tabernacle 20 boards for the south side. You shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons. And of the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards. Of their 40 sockets of silver and sockets under each of the boards. For the far side of the tabernacle, westward, you shall make six boards, and you shall also make two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle, and they shall be coupled together at the bottom, and they shall be coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus it shall be for both of them, and they shall be for the two corners. 
So there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each of the boards, and you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the wooden boards on the side of the tabernacle for the far side westward. The middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from end to end, and you shall overlay the boards with gold, make their rings of gold as holders for the bars, and overlay the bars with gold. And you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, and it shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasp. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil, and the veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy, and you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and you shall put the table on the north side. And you shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen made by a weaver. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be gold, and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. That's a lot of detail, isn't it? Well, Father, we ask that you would take this word, take every detail of this word, and help us understand what you are picturing for us, what you are showing us that it may change us and transform us and renew us and conform us to the image of the Son of God. Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Believe it or not, Exodus 26 is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might not think that because it's in the Old Testament, and a lot of people today, even very popular Christian pastors on television, tell us today that we don't need to worry about the Old Testament because it's obsolete, so don't even bother reading it. I personally think that's heresy, and people like that should not even be on television, but he has the right to buy his airtime, and he has the right to preach whatever he wants. But I would encourage you to not listen to and not follow people who spout such foolishness because God took the time and made the effort to not only instruct Moses but to command Moses to record all of this detail and then God preserved it for us and brought it to us in our very day and here we are reading what God gave to Moses on the top of a mountain thousands of years ago. And he instructed him to make a tabernacle. Now, we could spend a lot of time going through the detail of this, and I'm not going to do that today. What we are going to do is look at a big picture of one, one, just one of the things that God is communicating to us through this description of the tabernacle. 
Now, if you remember, the tabernacle was introduced to us back in Exodus 25, verse 9, when God instructed Moses, and he says, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of its furnishings, just so you shall make it. In other words, you make it just as you've been instructed. Now, there's lots of stuff in here about cubits and, and measurements and sockets and boards and length of boards and widths of boards and, and all of that. And all of that is important detail if you are going to construct a tabernacle. And you might say, well, what does that detail have to do with us today? We don't even know for sure how big a cubit is in terms of our inches and feet. That's not the point. Remember, we talked about this last week. The point, the reason God gave such detailed measurement and then commanded Moses, follow the detail. Don't make a tabernacle almost like I've told you to make it. Make a tabernacle exactly like I've told you to make it. Don't make it a cubit and a half almost. Make it exactly a cubit and a half when you cut those boards when you measure that fabric. And why, why would God do that? Why did God do that? Because God is showing us the measure of a man, and God is showing us the measure that we are ourselves to come to. Now, he's not showing us that so that we can work really hard and try to come to that measure. He's under no illusion that we can attain to the measurement that he's showing us because we cannot. But he is showing us the man who has come to that measure, who is that measure. And that man is Jesus Christ. So the tabernacle, if you want to, you say, just Pastor Jeff, help me understand what this tabernacle is about. Here's what it's about. It's about Jesus Christ. Period. That's what the tabernacle is about. In fact, that's what everything in the Bible is about. That's what the Old Testament is about. That's what the account of creation is about. That's what everything is about. It ultimately comes down to Jesus Christ. The tabernacle was central to Israel as they wandered through the wilderness and after they came to the land of promise. When they wandered those 40 years in the wilderness, the tabernacle was literally central to them. It was the center of their encampment for 40 years of their wilderness journey. They would follow the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of, of fire by night. And when the pillar of cloud and fire would stop, it wasn't a fire at night and a cloud during the day. It was cloud and fire all the time. You saw the cloud during the day and you saw the fire at night. This is the presence of God. And when the pillar of cloud and fire would stop, that was the signal that, that it was time to camp. And they would, after these instructions were obeyed and the tabernacle was made, then they would roll out the tabernacle, they would set it up, and then they would set their encampment around. So if you saw a picture of it, there is the tabernacle smack dab in the middle in the center of the tribes of Israel. It was literally central to their lives. And when they entered the promised land, it was central to their worship. This 
is where, the tabernacle is where they offered their sacrifice. It's where they did worship, corporately, publicly. It's where God dwelt, remember, between the cherubim, above the mercy seat. That is where the presence of God dwelt. And so this tabernacle went with Israel everywhere it, they would go. And the tabernacle provided something. It didn't just provide a sanctuary for God. It wasn't just the house of God, the place where God dwelt among his people. The tabernacle was a reminder. It, it taught the children of God something. The tabernacle provided a worldview for Israel that encompassed every aspect of life. From the cosmic order of creation, I mean to the sun, the moon, the stars, and the galaxies, all the way down to a man. Down to the human person. This is what the tabernacle communicated. This is what the tabernacle was a constant reminder of. Teaching Israel who God is and who they are in this world. And this is what we learned from the tabernacle, who God is and who we are in this world. Now, we don't have an earthly tabernacle, a tent that's described here because that was a foreshadowing. That was a type. That was a picture. It was the shadow of the substance who was to come. We've got something better than an earthly tabernacle, a tent of meeting. We have Christ, Jesus, he is what the tabernacle spoke of. He has come, so we don't need a tabernacle. We don't need a temple anymore. That's why God tore the temple down in 70 AD, and he rebuilt that temple. He had already rebuilt the temple long before 70 AD. That temple, the body of Christ, was torn down in his crucifixion and in his death, and it was raised up in his resurrection. This is why there pointless to look for another temple because the temple has already been raised. It is Jesus Christ. Just like it was pointless for Israel to build another tabernacle when they had a temple. Well, we don't need a tabernacle. We've got a temple. Jesus comes along and he says, you got a temple, but I'm going to tear it down and I'm going to raise up the real temple. And they thought he was crazy. So the tabernacle pictures for us who our God is and who we are in this world. So we're going to talk specifically today about the tabernacle symbolizing a man. And then next week, we're going to look at some other things about the tabernacle. But, but today, I want to specifically focus on how the tabernacle communicates, how it pictures for us the human person. The tabernacle symbolized the righteous man, the heavenly man, the man made in God's own heavenly image. The tabernacle is a type of Christ. So I just referenced this scripture, John chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus is talking to... Well, and John, John is writing about Christ. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made uh, flesh, and the Word, I'm sorry, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word who was with God, that Word who was God, verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt 
among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus Christ. He is the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt there in the Greek is a word that means to pitch a tent, or we could say it like this, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. This is what a tabernacle is. It's a tent. That's why it was called the tent of meeting. And Jesus is the word of God that tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. John 2, 19 through 22, Jesus answering the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day when they said, show us a sign, Jesus, because you do all these things. He, what right do you have to come in and drive out money changers? What right do you have to come into this temple and make these proclamations? Who are you anyways? Show us a sign if you really are the Messiah. And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. There is Jesus, the true tabernacle, the true temple that God raised up. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20, Paul writes, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, here in Exodus 26, we have God commanding Moses, instructing him on how to build this tabernacle and, and who is going to live in this tabernacle. Well, remember in chapter 25, God says, make me a sanctuary. Tell them to bring me an offering. Bring these things that you have build me a tabernacle that I may dwell among my people. This is God's house. The tabernacle is God's house. It's where he dwelt among his people between the cherubim above the mercy seat. But Paul says now in the new covenant, we who are in Christ, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the place that God dwells now. We are the tabernacle of God. And so this picture given to us in Exodus 26, this instruction to build this tent was a foreshadowing. It was just a road sign. It was pointing us to the substance who would come, who is Christ. Now, when we think of this tabernacle, we're not to think of it in a visual form. So there were three parts to the tabernacle. There was the most holy place, the holy of holies. Then outside of that was what was called the holy place. And then outside of that is what was called the courtyard. So that when we think of this in terms of a man, we're not thinking of the most holy place like being his head and the courtyard and the altar being his feet. It's, it's a it's a holistic picture. This is picturing the total man, the total person. So here's how we understand this. The tabernacle, the tabernacle pictures the triune nature of man. 
Did you know that you are triune, just like your God is? Your God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons in one being, in one God. Well, we are triune as well, made in the image of God. We are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. And the tabernacle was divided into three parts, the most holy place, the holy place, and the outer court. These three parts made up the whole tabernacle. So the tabernacle wasn't just the outer court, and the tabernacle wasn't just the, the holy of holies. All of those parts made up what was called the tabernacle. The tabernacle had an outer court. It was instructed, it was commanded, it had to be, just like you have a body. Why? Because that's the way God made you. Now, your body doesn't totally and completely define you, but it is part of who you are because that's the way God made us. So as human beings created by God, we are triune beings. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. And these three parts are represented and expressed holistically in one body. So my spirit is given expression through my body. If my spirit was just here apart from my body and apart from my soul, I would not be able to express myself to you. And if it was just my spirit here, it would not be me because I am spirit, soul, and body. This is how God made us. This is the holistic picture of who we are. Remove your spirit from your body and your body ceases to be animated. Remove your soul and you have no way to express your mind, your will, your emotions. There's nothing there. But God has made us a whole person by making us and giving to us and bringing all that together as one, our spirit, our soul, and our body. And this is our redemption. This is our salvation. This is what Paul talks about in his letter to the Romans. Yes, we are saved spiritually. In an instant, we are transformed when we're born again, and our spirit is conformed to the spirit of God. And the spirit of God lives in our innermost being. And we're being saved. Our soul or our mind, the word soul in the Greek is the word suke, which means the seed of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And that part of us, our mind, our will, and our emotions are being saved. They're being renewed right now. You're listening to the gospel. You're listening to the word of God. And the gospel, not, not because of your ability to fully comprehend and have the intellectual prowess to understand all the detail of the tabernacle. No, that's not it. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of God's word that's being communicated through these frail, failed human lips that, you, that I read and you heard with your ears. It's that gospel. It's the power of God's word that's doing something on the inside of you, not because you understand it, but because it's powerful. And it's renewing your soul. It's saving your soul. It's making new your mind. It's renewing your mind from the old way of thinking to a new way of thinking. That's what God's word does. 
That's why you should be less worried about what you understand when you read God's word versus just read it and keep reading it and keep reading it and keep asking God to give you understanding because as long as you're reading it and washing your mind with it, the power of that word is doing something in you that you can't see, you can't feel, you can't perceive. It's not based on what you understand up here. It's based on the power of God and what God is doing here and here, and he's connecting this to this. And when that connection is made, that's when you begin to really sense and know that there is a renewal taking place. That connection doesn't happen because you all of a sudden get it up here. That connection happens because of what God does here. And you keep reading and God keeps working. So it's our spirit, our soul, and our body that gives expression to the whole man. So think about this. Here in the innermost chamber of the tabernacle was what was called the most holy place. This corresponds to the spirit of man. The holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And upon the Ark was the mercy seat. It was in the most holy place where God dwelt above the ark and the mercy seat. It symbolizes the innermost parts of the man, our head and our heart, connected by our spirit. This is the spirit of a man. The next part of the tabernacle, moving from the innermost part to the outermost part, the next part is called the holy place. This corresponds to the soul of man. The holy place, remember, is where the table of showbread was. We did, last week we talked about the table of showbread and the bread that was on the table. Well, in the holy place, there were three pieces of furniture. There was the table of showbread. There was the lampstand or the menorah and then there was what was called the altar of incense those were the three furnishings these define a house a house where people live you have a table where you eat you have light to give you the ability to see the incense how many of you burn scented candles potpourri Those incense represented the sweet-smelling aroma, the prayers of God's people. Your prayers are the potpourri that God loves to smell. Your prayers are the incense that God loves to fill his throne room with. That's the holy place. Then you walk out from the holy place... Think about this, light, smell, taste. Today you're going to go to your, I don't know, either your house or to a restaurant. And maybe you're going to celebrate Father's Day and you're going to eat lunch. What gives you the ability to enjoy that lunch? I mean, it's not just, how do you know that tastes good? How do you know that meal tastes good? How do you know that what you're drinking tastes good and satisfies you how do you know that what tells you that huh 
It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. You eat food, you drink liquid, you smell things, and you say, wow, that smells good. Wow, that tastes really good. It is your mind, your will, and your emotion. It's your soul that gives you the ability to experience those things through your senses. I mean, our body has nerve receptors. I can feel this podium through the nerve receptors. If I didn't have nerve receptors, I might know that my, my hand can't go any farther down, but I can't feel it. But, but, but how do I know that I can feel this? Or if I poke myself and I stick myself, how do I know I, I've just experienced pain? Well, my brain tells me that because it's all connected. It's not just because I have nerves in my fingertips. It's because the nerves in my fingertips are connected to my brain. Do you see this is the holy place? This is your soul. This is your mind, your will, and emotions. This is a part of you that gives expression to what's in the innermost part of you. It's how you're able to process these things. So this place where the lampstand, where the light and the incense and the bread are, this pictures the soul, the seat of man's mind, will, and emotions. And you walk out of that through a veil into what's called a courtyard. And the, court, the courtyard corresponds to the outer man. This is the physical body of a man, of a human being. So the ark and the inner room symbolize the innermost part, the heart and the spirit of a man. It contained the law. In the ark was the law of God. And the law was to be written on our heart. It also contained a pot of manna. Hebrews tells us it's not in the instruction originally, but eventually what came to be inside that ark was the tablets of stone with the commandments, a pot of manna, and the 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 bud that rotted, Aaron's bud, the, the bud that sprouted, it was an almond branch, and it budded. It was a rod that proved that Aaron was to be the priest. And this speaks of the, the life within that bread does, the bread of life, the manna, God's life within, the law written on our heart, the rod that budded that speaks of our prayers. And in the throne, God's throne of glory was over the ark, showing that the righteous man, remember this tabernacle pictures the righteous man. Who is the righteous man? Well, Christ is the righteous man. But this tabernacle pictures the righteous man that has God enthroned on his heart, his head or his mind, his leadership is from the Lord God who is his head, his crowning glory. And he is walking in the control of God. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is not to just speak in some unknown tongue, have some ecstatic experience. To be filled with the Spirit means to live your life under the control of the Spirit of God. 
It means the Spirit of God directs what comes out of your mouth. The Spirit of God directs where your feet go. Well, how does the Spirit of God on the innermost part of you do that? Because that Spirit is informing what your mind thinks and what your will submits to or will not submit to. As a man thinks, so is he. And so the righteous man is the spirit-led man, the spirit-controlled man. This is the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of God's spirit that dwells within us. Galatians 5, and 23 talks of the fruit of the spirit. And the last characteristic listed there is self-control. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's what comes from our innermost being. The holy place where the table, the lamp, and the incense. That's our sense and our sensibilities. Jesus said that the lamp of the body is the eye. And if therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That's in Matthew 6, and 23. We, we reference that when we went through the book of Proverbs, and, and Proverbs talks about this in terms of being generous or being stingy. And this is the context Jesus is talking about. If we were to go to Matthew 6, and we're not going to, Jesus is talking in the context of where your treasure is. He's talking about your love of money versus your love of God. Jesus didn't change subjects here, but he makes an interesting statement that the lamp of the body is the eye. Now, a lamp, when you put a lamp in your room, you put a lamp in your room so the light will shine out and you can see. But Jesus says the lamp of the body is the eye. The eye is not putting light out, the eye is taking light in. The, the eye allows those things that come into it to illuminate. And Jesus makes an, an really a, quite a profound statement here that the lamp of the body is the eye. And if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. This relates to the lampstand in the tabernacle, which filled God's house with light. The righteous man lets the light of God's glory fill his inner being. Are you with me, church? What is filling your inner being? Is it the light of God's glory or is it darkness? What is true of the eye is also true of the other organs of the body. So if the lamp of the body is the eye, then we think of the incense altar, then the incense of the body is the nose. If our nose is unstopped, our body will be filled with incense. You know what happens when you get a cold and you can't, you can't uh, smell? Guess what else you can't do? You can't taste. Your ability to taste and enjoy food is linked directly to your nose. Why? Because this is how God made us. We're not, we're not separate little parts. We're one whole with many parts.
parts that are joined together. So there was the lamp representing the eye. There was the incense representing the nose. There was a table with bread on it. And the food of the body is the mouth. If our taste is good, then our body will be filled with God's heavenly manna or his showbread. Jesus said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. I am the bread of life. And we'll get to this later in Exodus, but I'm going to bring this up. In Exodus 28, we're going to see that God commands the high priest when the garment is made that he sews pomegranates along the bottom of the hem and also puts gold bells. So you have pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell. And so when the high priest would go into the holy place, when he would go in and he would be changing the showbread or when he would go into the most holy place and offer the the atoning blood on the mercy seat, every movement he made, there was this sound of bells. And it is this it's, it pictures for us the ear. What are our ears filled with? As that priest would walk around, he would hear the bells, and the priest outside on the other side of the veil would also hear those bells ringing, and it was the sound of obedience. It was the sound of serving God. It was the sound of ministering in the presence of God. It was a reminder of the voice of God, the sound of God that was to fill their ears and so to fill their very being. And these physical faculties of eye, nose, mouth, and ear are just simply, think about it, they're gateways, they're opening. You have an ear gate, you have an eye gate, you have a nose gate, you have a mouth gate. These are gateways, they're openings. They're openings to our senses that allow us to experience the spiritual reality present in our innermost being and manifest and enjoyed outwardly. Listen, the high priest only went into the most holy place once a year, but they went into the holy place regularly, daily. And when they would go into the holy place, they knew what was just on the other side of that veil. It was the presence of God. And what they did in that tabernacle complex, they did because there was God present in that innermost being. What we do in our life, what we do in our, within our tabernacle complex that we call our bodies should be informed of who lives on the innermost part of our being. Love and joy and peace are not theories, but they are solid, tangible realities present in our life. And the same is true of our obedience to God. Obedience is not unless it is solid, tangible, and a reality in our life. There is no obedience without obedience. Obedience is not a theory. It needs to be a reality in our life. The Spirit of God in our spirit informs our soul. The Spirit of God on the innermost part of you should inform how you think, how you act, even how we feel and what we do with those feelings. 
whether we should embrace them or ignore them. Because there are feelings we should embrace and there are feelings we should ignore. Well, how do we know which one? Well, if our feelings are contrary to who lives on our innermost being, then you need to ignore those. But if our feelings are consistent with who lives in our innermost being, God dwelling on the throne of our heart, then embrace those. The spirit informs our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, and the spirit in the soul informs our body, our outward man, and the expression of our whole being. The righteous man's outer life was symbolized by the courtyard. So you had this holy of holies, you had a holy place, and then outside of that was a courtyard. And the courtyard was a laver, a huge, mongous bowl, if you will, filled with water for washing. And the labor showed that the righteous man lives a clean and moral life publicly as well as privately. The priest was not to live one way publicly and then another way privately. God didn't put up with that. In fact, I didn't read it, but we'll read it when we get to Exodus 28. When God is instructing Moses to make the priest's garment with bells on the bottom, he says, do this that Aaron may not die. And those bells were a reminder to everyone that our life should be consistent publicly and privately. Outside the veil for all to see and behind the veil where only God sees. And there was an altar in the courtyard, and the altar showed that the righteous man is a man who worships in public, not just in private. Not just in his heart. You say, well, I don't need to go to church. I worship God in my heart. That's not the pattern God shows us. Nowhere, anywhere in the Bible, that is not the pattern God shows us. Our worship is private, yes, but it is also public. And God built a whole system that communicates this because your worship, private and public, is to give witness to the world, but not just to the world. Ephesians 3.10 says that it is the wisdom of God that's been given to the church to make known to powers and principalities the manifold wisdom of God. How do you do that? You do that in your private life, and your private worship, you do it in your public life and your public worship. Because they're not separate. They're the same. In God's eyes, who you are privately is who you are publicly. They are to be one. So that which is within our innermost being will ultimately determine what outward or public expression we will manifest. The tabernacle pictures more than a man. It is a type. It is a picture of Christ. And this man pictured in the tabernacle is to inform and typify our world view from the, from the most introspective worldview to a cosmic worldview. 
We are to view the world and all in it according to the truth and the true measure of that man that is found and pictured in this tabernacle. It's not important for you to understand all the details and cubits and inches and yards. and That's not the point. The point is God is showing us that he has ordained a man of exact measurements. And we are to look to that man. We are to attain to that. And, and in doing that, we realize we cannot do that apart from the grace of God. And God didn't leave us hopeless. God gave us hope in Jesus Christ. And he said, here, I'm going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I'm going to bring you to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. I will do that by my grace because you cannot do that in your humanity. But God in his grace and God in his goodness brings us to this man pictured for us right here in this tabernacle. And if we are in Christ, then we are to manifest and express the life of Christ in us. That life comes from his spirit dwelling in our innermost being, our most holy place. It is experienced, known, and enjoyed through our senses and in the seat of our mind, our will, and our emotions. God is someone we are actually to enjoy. We're not to endure him hoping to escape hell we have been given life and we are to enjoy him with joy full of glory and inexpressible. And that joy should be exploding in every sense that God has given us. We should enjoy him in every way imaginable. And those inner realities and ultimately those are made manifest through our outer man. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, the proverb says. Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we might add that from the mind, the body acts. In other words, what is in us will ultimately come out of us. The tabernacle pictures who we are to be conformed to. All these things relate to God's glory and God's presence in our life. The presence of God was seen by all Israel in his glorious pillar of cloud and fire. And that pillar corresponded to the presence that dwelt between the cherubim above the mercy seat. That corresponds today to Christ dwelling in you, in your heart of hearts, in your spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the tabernacle, it was a cloud replicated by the sweet cloud of incense from the altar of incense. It was the light that shone from the menorah, from the lampstand. And it was the cloud of his presence that rained manna down on them in the wilderness, pictured in the holy place at the bread, at the table of showbread. That was in the tabernacle. But the tabernacle is gone. And the tabernacle is gone because Christ is now here. And in Christ, he is dwelling within our innermost being by his Holy Spirit, giving us light, illuminating his revelation, his word, his presence, his very being, giving us bread for life. He is the bread of life. Do you see? Our prayers offered up to him are the incense that fills his throne room that he takes pleasure in. The cloud signified the Spirit of God 
So then in Christ, the righteous man is filled with God's cloud, with his presence, with his spirit dwelling in the innermost place of our being. The holy place symbolized those sensory avenues of sight and hearing and smell and taste that enabled us to process and to experience the goodness of God and the presence of God. The man filled with light is wise. The man filled with hearing is permeated by the voice of God's word. The man filled with incense is a man of prayer. The man filled with manna is filled with his eternal life. So the question for all of us today, the question is what and who is in you and filling you? What and who is in you and filling you today? That's an important question. So as we get ready to come to the table, that's the question I want you to think about. I want you to consider that question, but I also want to encourage you to look around and and to discern the body of Christ that you are a part of. Christ is dwells in you by the Holy Spirit, but you are part of the body of Christ and look around. This is the body. This is how you are, how Christ is present at this table. And this is what the Bible commands us to do, to discern the body. The body that's in you and the body that you are in. Christian, I invite you to come to the table. Welcome to Jesus. Here's your charge today. Whoever and whatever is in your life filling you will ultimately determine your worldview and your life for all practical and spiritual purposes. God commanded the tabernacle to be built and that it travel with Israel to be central to Israel in all their life. God commanded this so that Israel would always have God present with them as a reminder of who their God is and who they are in this world. It was a reminder of their fall and of their salvation from that fall. It was a reminder of God's promise to never leave them or forsake them. So it is for us today. The tabernacle foreshadowed Christ to come. Now, today, Christ is come. He is tabernacling among his people, for he dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is present with us eternally. He dwells in you, in your innermost being. He gives you the ability to know him and experience him, to have the light of his spirit, to see his glory and to commune with him in prayer. There is no longer a veil separating us from his presence. If you are in Christ, he is present in you and with you always, with no degree of separation any longer. In Christ, you are now members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. In Christ, you are one with him. God commands that your life reflect that truth and that reality. That my life reflect that truth and that reality. What and who 
is filling our life today. I pray it is Christ and his glory for all the world to see and to know and to experience through us, and most especially those closest to us. Our public worship and our private worship should be and must become one. So should our love and our witness for Christ in this world. Amen.